0: So I'd argue that one of the most defining pieces of cinema from our time is the 2004 classic *Mean Girls*, because while it may be a lighthearted movie about drama and girlhood, it's also really about all the ways money and status warp our sense of identity. We're the plastics.
1: They're teen royalty. If North Shore was Us Weekly, they would always be on the cover.
0: The Plastics, of course, is the coveted cool girl clique that runs North Shore High School. And just like in countless other teen movies like Clueless or Never Been Kissed, cool is really a synonym for rich. Regina George is flawless. She has two Fendi purses and a silver Lexus.
1: I hear her hair is insured for $10,000. I hear she does car commercials in Japan.
0: And in the way that each class in society seems to have an arbitrary set of rules, so do the Plastics.
2: You can't wear a tank top two days in a row, and you can only wear your hair in a ponytail once a week. So I guess you pick today.
0: So we all know how the movie ends. Katie Heron, our favorite protagonist, tries really hard to navigate this elite world of the plastics. She's desperate to signal that she belongs. Until, of course, she realizes she doesn't need to be anyone but herself. The social hierarchy is upended and everyone is friends. Or at least they don't hate each other. It's a nice idea that we outgrow worrying about how other people perceive us, especially when it comes to our class or income. But off-screen, yeah, that is not always the case. I'm Rima Gerees and welcome to This Is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. So those clicks, they follow us into adulthood. And a lot of it is still based around money. Whether it's intentional or not, people tend to hang out with people in the same class as them, you know, similar backgrounds and incomes. And when you move into a new social class with people you've never been around, it can be just as awkward as joining a new friend group in high school.
2: Like, how do I navigate it without, you know, having a bill, without signaling to other people that like, she's
0: new here. That's Wenwen Yang. She listens to the show, and she wrote me an email not too long ago about entering the middle class. She says she grew up poor and is now struggling to figure out the social cues and norms of a class she wasn't born into. In her email, she says she kind of wants, like, a guidebook.
2: Like a Google Maps for the middle class.
0: (laughs) Have you ever Googled that? Like, actually Googled, like, a guide to the middle class? I uh, have. Really? (laughs) I Google everything. So you want a guidebook because you don't want people to know that you grew up poor?
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Wen Wen grew up in the Bronx. Her family immigrated there from China. As a kid, she lived in a house with seven relatives. She says her parents worked a lot. Her mom was a seamstress, and her dad was a cook at a restaurant. They worked, like, so many hours.
2: Because um, my dad, he he was only home on Wednesdays. I remember, you know, going over to, to a friend's house to do homework, right? And then her dad would be there and just like, why isn't your dad at work? Because he's <laughs> yeah, he's finished work so, for I mean, now. Yeah. He's like, but but it's only like five o'clock. Like, I can't believe he's home.
0: He still has six more hours. Even though money was tight, her mom would go out of her way to find one when, when nice clothes. Whether it was knockoff logos or super discounted designer stuff. Wenwen says the point was to signal wealth. So there were times when she wanted me to wear, like, the
2: name brand thing. But the name brand thing was, like, Ralph Lauren Polo, <laughs> mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Uh, a sweatshirt. And mm-hmm. so I was like, wear that sweatshirt to, you know, the, the dinner we're having with um, the family. I'm like, but it's a sweatshirt. Shouldn't <laughs> I go with the, the nicer with zero, you know, label on it sweater? And Like, no, uh, that one says mm-hmm. Ralph Lauren on it. She wear that cares one. more about the brand. Yes, 100%.
0: Mm-hmm. She says her mom was really conscious of how other people judged their family. But that wasn't something Wenwen ever thought about. That is, until one day during her senior year of high school.
2: I remember the principal came in and was like, oh, you know, prom season's coming up, and there's this great program called, it was like Project Tinkerbell, mm-hmm. um, that gives uh, prom dresses to, to low-income kids. And then she looks at me and goes, "Wenwen, you should take a flyer.
0: The principal didn't give a flyer to everyone in the class just her. It was just like, here, (laughs) you poor student of the high school. I was like, oh, she's trying to be helpful.
2: And and being like, here, everyone take a flyer. And I just happened to be first. Hmm. It was later, my friend was like angry on my behalf. She said like she had no right to to call you out like that.
0: And so do you think that was like the first time you realized that maybe other people thought of you as poor? Yeah, that was definitely um, the first time that
2: I was just, it clicked in my head.
0: This is the moment that made her realize it doesn't matter if you try super hard to keep up appearances. People can still tell. For a lot of folks, college is when you get your first real exposure to people with different backgrounds. But when, when she lived at home, worked a ton, and didn't have much time for friends. Shortly after she graduated, she moved to Dallas and landed a job at Hilton at the corporate office. She started off as a temp, not making much, but then eventually she got hired as a revenue analyst. She was 23 years old, making $43,000. When her manager gave her the offer, she could barely believe it.
2: Like, are you sure? That is a four and a three, right? Like, like thousands. Like, I was just astonished I could get to that number.
0: That was more than what her parents made put together. Then, a few years later, she started making over $50,000.
2: And then seeing, like, oh, wait, I, I now make median like household income for the United States. Like, oh, OK, this is the middle. OK, I got here.
0: You're there. You made it.
2: Yeah. And you don't know until you get there and you're just like, oh, OK, what, is, what does all this mean?
0: For Wen Wen, entering the middle class meant learning a whole new set of rules. That's after the break. So, what does it mean for you to be part of the middle class?
2: It's like having the the enjoyment of life. Um, like the 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 things beyond work. And I feel like middle class is kind of like the the moment where you, you can take a breath.
0: So, it's actually pretty hard to define the middle class. I mean, according to Pew research, it can include anyone making between 40,000 to 120,000 depending of course on where you live. It's all relative and a bit nebulous. And when one knows that, that it's not just about income. It's also about the kind of social cues and references you pick up when you're not constantly worrying about every cent. When one remembers one of the first times she really felt out of place at work. She was with her co-workers, and they decided to go out for lunch. Uh, it was like a nice restaurant, close to work. Um, and I
2: was like, OK, I can eat uh, That's a burger. I know those ingredients. I can eat that. And... I- I was like, okay, so I'll have this burger, and he mm. and the waiter said, "How do you like it cooked?" And I was like, "Does it matter?" And he says, "Not to me, but probably to you." Mm. And then he chuckled, and I'm still looking at him, going, "Like, please give me a clue. What, what do I say?" And he's like, "Well, do you like a, a, is a little pink? Okay." I'm like, "Yes." Huh. And he's like, "Okay, that that's medium. We we can do that for you." I'm like, "Okay." And then later, on, I'm like, "Oh, it's like ordering a steak. Okay." Because mm. um, they don't ask you, you know, how do you like your burger cooked at McDonald's, right?
0: Navigating really small moments like that, like ordering a burger, made her realize that her experiences were really different than most of her coworkers. She started compiling a list in her head.
2: So the list is about all the uh, things I've noticed that's different for, um, you know, growing up poor versus growing up middle class. So, uh, like, drugstore shampoo versus buying shampoo at the salon. Uh, gorilla gluing shoes versus buying new shoes. Uh, braces being a sign of, of some wealth, mm-hmm. um, at least in childhood. A uh, Tailoring
0: versus uh, my pants were too large and I bought suspenders. This is just a taste. Her list is exhaustive. It's surprising just how many differences she's picked up. Even really small things. So it's like as if you're like an anthropologist or like a field researcher, like yeah. taking taking down notes. Like these are your observations of the middle class. Yes. Some of these things you're talking about, I feel like, are things that um, like a lot of people are trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. But um, it's like carrying so much more weight for you because it sounds like you're worried that these tiny markers are somehow going to make you stick out.
2: Right. Yeah, I definitely uh, don't want to stand out. Like, I want to blend in enough and look appropriate enough to be here, um, as opposed to, you know, someone being like, man, she's trying so hard. (laughs) It's like, oh, but that means I'm failing then.
0: Even though she's been in the middle class now for about six years, Wenwen still finds herself caught off guard. Like, during a recent work trip, her team did this icebreaker. You know, talk about your favorite vacation spot.
2: People were just like, oh, I loved, you know... Uh, going through uh, Italy and someone else like, oh, I love Hawaii. So many people mentioned Hawaii, mm. you know, working in hospitality, right? Like everyone, it, they definitely yeah. take advantage of, you know, vacations. And I'm like, I have not left the country yet.
0: Mm. And, and how did people react when you said that in the circle?
2: Um, I try not to mention things I have not done. Oh, so you didn't um, say that. No, I, I try not to.
0: So she said something endearing instead. Her favorite vacation spot is New York because it's home. It's a really delicate balancing act for Wen Wen. She doesn't want to lie, but she's also not eager to share details of her upbringing with people who don't know her very well. Yeah, what, well, what do you think you're afraid of exactly?
2: Uh, judgment. Um, yeah, judgment that, like, or them believing something that, you know, is not true about me. That Like, they might have an image of what poverty looks like.
0: And when she feels particularly anxious about a situation or is totally out of her depth, she tends to gravitate towards people who she thinks won't judge her, or at least can relate. Like going to a nice house party, and then for some reason there's valet in the front. I'm like,
2: why would you have valet at your own house? And it's like this giant house, and it's like, (laughs) oh, and then you start hanging out with the help because you're just like, oh, you're the catering service. Can I hang out with you because I don't know what I'm doing here.
0: (laughs) Has that actually happened? Yes. (laughs) That was at a fancy alumni event. When I ask her if she thinks she'll ever fully adjust to being in the middle class, she says she doesn't think so.
2: I'm probably always going to be like an anthropologist
0: <laughs> wherever mm-hmm. I
2: am, being like, well, this is a new thing um, and, and learning about it. But I, it's definitely assembling pieces that, um, you know, becoming more and more middle class.
0: Well, it sounds like even though you entered the middle class, you don't necessarily feel like you're in it. No, um, I, th- I feel like most of my life I've
2: just been in places where I'm just like, oh, this is strange for me. I'm not. Uh, it's like imposter syndrome or, like, not fitting in. Like, I'm just this weird puzzle piece that like, I'm sorry, I should have been in that other box, but I wound up in this one, so I hope you can put me somewhere.
0: Thinking about Wen Wen's situation and how she feels, I can't help but wonder how people are actually perceiving her. Because it's easy to be extra hard on ourselves. So the other day, I called up someone who studies this stuff
1: for a living,
0: And he told me it makes a lot of sense that people would be afraid of not fitting in.
1: You know, one of the fears is that that lack of uh, cultural knowledge is actually a proxy for your actual knowledge of the world.
0: That's Michael Krause. He is a social psychologist at Yale.
1: People are very concerned about seeming like because they don't have the cultural fit— that they are going to be seen as lower in competence and then that's in fact what ends up happening right if you lack the fit people think of you as less competent less worthy
0: wait really so research shows that people who, like your basically your fears are valid yes uh, no yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's, that's true like not <laughs> what i'd want to hear okay <laughs> Michael has spent his career researching inequality and, more specifically, the ways we evaluate each other and ourselves based on class.
1: Any behavior that's visible is going to be probably um, have a class signature as part of it.
0: When he says any visible behavior, he really means it. In one of his studies, strangers could accurately guess someone else's social status just by scrolling through someone's Facebook photos. He says you can also tell a lot by how people
1: pronounce words. So like if you listen to seven words, so me speak seven words, um, you could, with above chance accuracy, infer my position in society. That's enough. Seven words. That's enough.
0: And he says those words don't even have to form a sentence. Like in this one study, they could make assumptions when people said words like beautiful or from or imagine.
1: It's not something that you would have to to make inferences about over a period of weeks, right? It's happening online, Mm -hmm. right during a job interview, um, right away. Um, Man, it's kind of scary. (laughs) Yes, yes.
0: And this kind of judgment from others, it impacts all parts of our lives, including what jobs we get.
1: In the context of hiring, in the context of evaluation, what can happen is you start making inferences of competence that are based on people's backgrounds, even though it's unintended, right? It's not necessarily explicitly intended that you're doing that. You're trying to go for teamwork and you might be unintentionally ending up with, like, why do we have a diversity problem at this at this yeah, firm, exactly. right?
0: Basically, what he's referring to here is implicit bias, right? We know that stuff happens all the time when it comes to race and gender. And while it's all interconnected, Michael says some employers have come to define talent and merit by standards that exclude people of lower class backgrounds. Like a manager at a big firm may be more inclined to hire someone who went to an Ivy League school or someone who shares hobbies with the rest of the office, like golfing or
1: sailing. Like they're, what they're going to end up doing is they think they're doing fit, but they're actually doing this, um, you know, only people with the same upbringing are going to be working here.
0: Totally. So bringing it back to Wen Wen, um, you know, she's super fearful that people are judging her based on being formerly poor and, you know, not necessarily picking up on these cues on what it means to be in the middle class. And basically you're saying people are judging her. So she has a reason to be afraid.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: But there's no but.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I, so I so I, could, I can just, um, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, I study inequality is because one of my beliefs is that you have to tell the truth about what society is like, even yeah. when society is ugly and society is unequal. Um, and not doing that um, actually does the work of perpetuating inequality. Right. It makes inequality worse because it's harder to see and point out.
0: I'm not going to lie. I called up Michael in hopes of finding Win-Win some kind of silver lining, but I didn't really get that. He says we've just got to hold institutions accountable because they're the real gatekeepers. And on an individual level, we can definitely do a better job of understanding and affirming who people are. Weirdly enough, I'm also taking comfort in the fact that I've definitely felt what one one has felt. I mean, she's not alone. Actually, so many of you rode in with experiences of feeling out of place, regardless of your socioeconomic status. We had some of you all read your emails. Here's listener Lena DeLucia from Pennsylvania. I grew up with parents who were conscientious spenders. They always provided for us, but it was never over the top. I work in a profession where most of my coworkers earn solid middle-class incomes and prioritize their money a bit different than how I grew up. My phone hasn't yet transitioned to smart. My clothes are typically off-brand or second-hand, and I don't really purchase beauty products. So although I appreciate myself and the values I was raised with, I often feel out of place because of it. Also, Tom Roby from Seattle, Washington wrote in. He's an ER doctor and says he's super aware of the kind of status his job carries, both at work and outside of work. In few professions, do such highly trained and compensated people regularly interact with the most vulnerable, disaffected, and downtrodden individuals in our society. Most ER docs wear scrubs, and I don't wear a white coat because there's already enough hierarchy built into the system. Once I leave the hospital, my scrubs elevate into a status marker. So when I drive home, I ditch the clinical garb in favor of ratty jeans or workout clothes. I'd rather not signal that I'm a physician. I guess my scrubs would be a good credential if someone was hurt. But they don't invite conversations about playdates or home improvement projects. And last but not least, here's someone who I think many of us who grew up in the 2000s can relate to.
2: Hi, I'm Caitlin Montgomery, and I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. When I was in middle school around 2006-ish, I always wanted to look like the popular kids who were wearing Hollister and Abercrombie clothes. My family didn't have the money for any of those clothes, especially the $80 jeans. Since I couldn't buy the jeans, I spent an entire Saturday on my driveway with a pair of jeans I already owned, some rocks, and a pair of scissors to try to make my own distressed jeans. For hours, I worked on these pants to try to get them to look like the pants from Hollister's and the ones that all the cool kids wore that I just really wanted to look like. But I didn't have any luck, so I ended up giving up and sticking to the pants I already had.
0: <laughs> I love that. All right, that is all for this week's show. If you want to share how class differences have come up in your own life, you can shoot me a note at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. is Uncomfortable is produced by me Rima Jerez Haley Hirschman and Peter Balanon-Rosen Megan Dietry is our senior producer Charlton Thorpe is our technical director editing by Sarah Kramer Tony Wagner is our digital producer Muna Danish is our intern special thanks to Eliza Mills for help this week Star is the executive director of On Demand and Deborah Clark is the senior vice president and general manager of Marketplace and our theme music is by Wonderly all right Catch y'all next week.